0: Few years ago, my my wife and I had moved home from Southeast Asia. Now, the the trip home from Southeast Asia was a bit uh, challenging, to say the least. My my wife was newly Pregnant, uh, I believe eight weeks at that point in time. And we were flying for 40 hours, uh, 40 hours travel to get from Southeast Asia back into the United States. And so I, I remember this moment where we had arrived in LAX, which is uh, the worst airport in the world. And so we had, I've, I've traveled the world, I can say that. Have you ever heard of Lucknow, India? No. no. It has LAX beat in their airport. just want you to <laughs> decide the point. Um, so we arrive in LAX and something happens. I, I see a coffee shop. And for years in Southeast Asia, where we were at, coffee was a luxury and not a common good thing that I could find. And so I see this coffee shop and I get to the coffee shop and I order a cappuccino and a croissant. And a French croissant is heavenly. I'm pretty sure it's the clouds of heaven that have been wrapped up into a pastry. Uh, it's miraculous. So I, I, order, I order a cappuccino and a croissant, and I sit down, and I take a bite of the croissant, and I, I sip my cappuccino, and I think to myself, I'm home we've arrived home and then i turn around and i am faced by the worst airport in the world in lax and it immediately hits me that i'm not home yet <laughs> i'm i'm home already and yet i'm not there i i still have a, another flight and after that i have 2 weeks of a road trip with a wife with morning sickness i am not home yet but I'm home. This morning, we're, we're going to talk about a concept that is very similar to what was happening here, this, this experience of being home, and yet not yet being home. You see, all throughout Scripture, the testimony for us as believers is that we are two things. We are already, and yet we are not yet already and not yet. We are already adopted and not yet adopted. We are already redeemed in Christ, but not yet redeemed. We are already sanctified in Christ, but not yet sanctified. We're already saved in Christ, but not yet saved. We're already raised with Christ and not yet raised. God's kingdom has already come. It is already here and it is present and it is real and at the same time we have not seen it fully realized we live in the middle of a tension In fact, uh, most of life is tension, if you didn't know this. The tension between sin and grace. How can a good God save sinful humanity? The tension between human responsibility and divine sovereignty. How can God be sovereign and us still be responsible? And then also this tension, this tension that we lean into specifically during this time, this tension of God's kingdom has already come, and it has not yet come. You see, by, by faith in Christ, all the spiritual blessings of Christ are ours already. But the full enjoyment of these blessings is not yet complete and is not yet ours. You see, this is, this is the life of faith. It's this, this waiting that we step into as Christians. It's the assurance of things hoped for in the future and the convictions of things not yet seen in the present. Now, we've talked about this concept a little bit over the last few weeks. This already and not yet aspect of the kingdom. This already and not yet aspect of the Christian life. The, this space between Christ's first coming and his second coming. You see, we we can confidently say as Christians that Christ is already ruling and reigning and we can also, at the same time, recognize that we don't fully see that rule and reign completely yet. Let me, let me point to a very specific text in Scripture. If you, if you have your physical Bibles, why don't you go ahead and grab those and, and go to Isaiah chapter 2. This is helpful for us. If we, if we go to Isaiah chapter 2 and we read verses 2 through 4, it says this. This is the word of the Lord. In the last days, in the mountain of the Lord's house will be established. At the top of the mountains, and it will be raised above the hills, all nations will stream to it, and many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. For instruction will go out of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem he will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not take up the sword against nation, and they will never again train for war. All right, I want to just want to hit on a couple things in this text real quick that it clearly revealed to us this idea of already, not yet. The first is this concept that all nations will stream to the house of the Lord. That's already. That has already happened that nations have streamed to the house of the Lord. Let's just look at the numbers for a second. In Africa, there are 631 million Christians. In Latin America, there are 601 million Christians. In Asia, there's 388 million Christians. Can we just stop for a minute and just talk about how awesome worship in the New heavens and Earth is going to be? That's going to be incredible. We're going to get rowdy. It's going to be amazing. Um, then in North America, there's going to be 277 million Christians right now. We are the nations. We are the fulfillment of this proper prophecy. The, the fulfillment of the nations coming to the Lord, coming to the house of the Lord. This has already happened. We Continue to look in the text, it says, He will teach us about His ways so that we may walk in His path. If we just go scripturally, the Sermon on the Mount, the book of Matthew, is an entire book that is calling us to teach the nations the Word of God. It's calling to teach Jesus' teachings, to teach people to observe and to obey all that has been commanded. We have the ways of God placed before us. This is an already promise. And yet, it would seem that we have here a, a messianic prophecy that overpromises and underdelivers. We continue down the text. it says, "They will beat their swords into plowshares." That's a "not yet. Now, certainly, we could, we could not look at, our, at the state of even our nation, the state of our city, or the state of our world now and say, yes, that's happened. People have beaten their swords into plowshares. It's all happened. That's true. We can't, we can't say that. It has not yet taken place. Now, I want to I nuance what I'm about to say next carefully. Not all fights are sinful. There are good fights and there are bad fights. Standing up against injustice is a righteous endeavor. And so we as Christians are not called to be like, well, we just got to lay everything down and that's not actually what we're called to. We, we are called to stand up righteously. But the full realization of this, where all fighting gone, nation will not plan against nation, That won't happen until sin has completely and finally and fully been demolished on that sin-shattering day when Christ returns. But the promise of the messianic kingdom is that there will no longer be a need because injustice will be completely undone. The the promise of the messianic kingdom is that nation will not take up sword against nation. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I can confidently say that our World is good at taking up swords against other nations. So what do we do with this? when what is a messianic prom- uh, prophecy seems to be partially fulfilled but not fully fulfilled? What do we do with that? Well, I-, I would like to suggest that we have to lean into the tension of Scripture, to the already and the looking forward to the not yet. The disciples in the New Testament and, and other individuals in the New Testament deal with this tension all over the place. If we were to go briefly to Matthew 13, or Matthew 11:1 or 11:3, we see John is preparing the way for Jesus. He's preparing the way for the Messiah, and then he is arrested. So he is preaching the good news of the captives being set free. He's preparing the way for this king that God has sent and then put in prison. And he is immediately faced with suffering, and he's in this place where he is—he's in prison. He is suffering. He is seeing the day of his death drawing near, and he's wondering: Is this really the Lord? He sends his disciples to ask Jesus. He says, "Are you the one who is to come?" He's feeling the tension of the not yet. And what does Jesus respond with? He responds with the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the leprous are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor are told the good news. This is the already of the kingdom. The kingdom has already shown up. It's already working. And yet, John is feeling the weight of the not yet coming. If we go to the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the question that they ask, they've seen Jesus raised from the dead, and they say, Lord, are you now restoring the kingdom to Israel? And we don't see, for the rest of the book of Acts, a restoration in our sense to what the disciples were asking for. Instead, what we see is we see persecution, and we see suffering, and we see the gospel going forward and blowing up and turning cities on their heads. And so we see in already that the the nations are coming, and yet the not yet, it has not fully been realized. Romans 8, my last textual help for us this morning is the Spirit is testifying with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. We see that in the beginning of Romans 8. And then we, we read and continue reading, and we see these truths come up, that the creation has been groaning, that the world itself is groaning with pain, longing for the day of Christ's return. And at the same time, while the creation is groaning, we are. It says that God's children are at the same time groaning. And why are they groaning? It says because they're awaiting adoption. Well, if we go back to the beginning of Romans chapter 8, it says we've already received adoption, and yet we're awaiting it already adopted and not yet adopted, wrestling with sin and defeating sin. Uh, We've used this illustration before, but imagine if you were that you were a homeless child and you were begging every morning, you'd go out onto the side of the road and you would beg for food and a wealthy, benevolent, joyous benefactor comes to you and says, I have all the money you could possibly need. I want to adopt you. Would you come and live with me in my home? And so he goes through the process of adopting this child and he brings the child inside the home and then yet, now that everything has been given to this child, he's been written into the will, he's been gifted with good food, a croissant every morning for breakfast, and then every morning he goes out to the side of the road and begs for money. He's been adopted, and yet that adoption has not fully hit and fully transformed the way that he operates and lives. And the invitation of the not yet is come back into the Father's house. Continue to coming back. You see, we need categories of already and not yet in the church. Because if we don't have the categories of already... And not yet, we don't have a Messiah. If it's just all already, then I'm sorry I did not sign up for this. And if it's just all not yet, then that means Jesus has not come. We have to to lean into this tension. The already and the not yet. We need to be able to confidently say all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. And yet we need to be able to also confidently say... He's still coming. We need to be able to say that His Kingdom has come already and yet His Kingdom will come. It is not yet here. Now, we're frothy charismatics, so we love the already, right? We are so excited about the kingdom moving forward. We're like, yeah, we'll pray for anyone to get healed. We'll just be looking forward to the kingdom here and now. And, and what that sometimes does for us is we miss the pull and the tension towards the, the longing for the not yet. This is not it. This is not the final end of the story, There is a greater day coming, a a not yet in the future. Now, in the midst of suffering, it is often easier easier for us to see the not yet. Now, maybe you're in a really flowery season of life, and everything's just going splendid, and you have not experienced any suffering. Or maybe you don't have kids. And... (laughs) Y- your heart is not just on your sleeve every day. And so you think, yeah, this is pretty good. I mean, I've got a sweet house. I've got a pretty nice car. I-, I drive to work every day. I get there. I really love my job. And so you're just like, yeah, this could be it. I could, I could do this. So you don't see the fact that this isn't the final and, and full realization. But oftentimes, most of us do not wake up in the morning and look at our room and look across the the, the room at our spouse or, or, you know, we see our schedule for the day and we think, ah, heaven, I've arrived. Most of us do not think that. Most of us see the not yet pretty clear. But as Christians, it is ridiculously important for us and, and during the season of Advent, it's ridiculously important for us to lean into both of these tensions, to the already and the not yet. So, we want to remember the already. We want to remember that Christ has indeed come. So, if we, if we go to every single one of us in this room who is a Christian, you have an already story. You have a testimony. You have a, a story of how God has come into your life and he has turned your world upside down, where you have come to know him and he has changed you not just the prayer that you prayed 30 years ago but like the moment where he actually already came you saw his kingdom moving in your life the moment where your life shifted from being me centered to being king centered you have a testimony you have that story that is god's kingdom already here and now here on heaven as or here on earth as it is in heaven that is happening if you have that testimony as a christian you can look back and point to the moment when God changed your story, when He stepped in and personally reconciled you, where the rule and reign of God has come in your life and Christ has already triumphed over the principalities and the powers of this world. You haven't already We have already to hold on to, these testimonies of the kingdom of God coming. I could tell you stories of marriages in our own church just in this this last year that have seen reconciliation in what should have been hopeless situations. We could celebrate testimony after testimony of what God has done, where he has changed your life completely, where he has moved you into his kingdom, where he has started to help you walk into holiness There's story after story of God transferring us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of His Son who He loves. You see, leaning into the already helps us to remember that God is indeed at work now. Helps us as Christians to actually believe that healing is possible. Like, His kingdom is already here. We can confidently step into prayer and ministry to those in need knowing that his kingdom is coming. His kingdom is here. His kingdom has been found. And so we don't have to step into prayer with somebody with fatalistic mindsets. We can step in and say, I believe that the Lord will heal this person. We can confidently step into those spaces. We can believe that miracles can happen now. We can believe that redemption and defeat of sin is actually possible. Like I, I I wish we could get this. I wish we could actually believe that the kingdom is present inside of us, and because of that, we do not have to believe that our sin will always win. We can step out in victory. The way we lean into that kingdom, this isn't in my notes, but it's free and it's really good, is we confess our sins. We we confess the not yet realities of our lives. We confess that one day we will fully be adopted and fully redeemed and fully sanctified and fully glorified. And so we confess that and we confess the areas where we're not lining up with that identity. And we lean into the already, believing that that is true of us Already, even though we're not yet seeing it, God's kingdom is here and now. You and I, we can walk in victory over our sin. You are not enslaved anymore, you are no longer bound by sin and shame. You can lean into confidence that Jesus is working in and through you, that you are being sanctified, that his power is at work in you already. God's kingdom is continuing to break through, and you can believe that. And when you don't believe, invite the Lord to help your unbelief. Because the already of his kingdom is real, and it is true, and it is powerful. we also have to remember the not yet and now you're going to get to feel the tension of this it's amazing and terrible (laughs) there's realities of the not yet that we that we live in Um, many of you would easily be able to just look out and pick three things off the side of the road that that you believe is a not yet situation we live in the midst of a pandemic that's a not yet we, we are in the midst of political unrest, which is also a not yet. We are not feeling that time where, where war will be no more, where his kingdom will be a kingdom of peace and his increase will not end. We're not feeling the full weights of that yet. We look out we see political unrest. We see racial tension. We see for every story of reconciliation in marriage that I could tell you, I could tell you three more of where a marriage didn't make it where brokenness wins the day. For every story of healing, I could share a story where pain and suffering continue. For every story of defeat of habitual sin, I could share a story where sin is still enslaving people and they've given up trying. For every story of joy and happiness and new life, I can tell you about a typhoon in the Philippines that is Wrecking people's lives, where people are displaced. Creation is groaning. This world is broken. It has not yet been made new. God's kingdom has not been fully and finally realized. So what I want to do for a second is I want to step back away from this tension and just ask the question, what happens if we don't live in it? What happens if we lean only into the already or what happens if we lean only into the not yet? If we lean too much into the already, I think there's two responses that will start to show up and well up in our lives. The first is that we'll become disillusioned and disappointed. We'll be disillusioned and disappointed with the systems of this world because we've put our hope in them believing we have the kingdom already. And then we'll be shocked and surprised when the kingdoms of this world don't live up to what our expectations are. We'll lose hope in God believing that his word was not as good as he said it was. We'll forget that there is more to come. And the second way that I think that we can respond to this and I think this is often the response I see more often in the church is apathy to the pains of the world. It's constantly distracting ourselves it's ignoring the pain and building out poor teachings that don't allow us to answer for the suffering of the world in a faithful way we ignore it we pretend it doesn't happen and we live our lives in a bubble never allowing ourselves to see the pain except for the pain we've allowed ourselves to see in our echo chambers of some sort now if we lean too much into the not yet, we're not going to focus on what God is doing already or what He has already done for us. We won't look at His work, and so we'll just live pessimistically, never remembering or seeing where God has shown up. You guys lost my mic, but that's okay. We'll pray fatalistic prayers that don't believe God can make a difference today. We won't uh, involve ourselves in the situations, or in the fight against injustices that so prevalently exist in our world. Because we won't believe that God can change things. We won't earnestly seek healing. We won't earnestly seek defeat of sin if we believe too much in the not yet. We'll have a fatalistic mentality, well, I guess one day God'll just have to fully sanctify me. We'll live unrealistically hopeful or unnecessarily helpless. If we lean into one or the other, we will miss something. And so we have to hold both. The tension of both has to be held in our hands. But we do have a future hope. This future hope that on that day when Christ returns, swords will melt down into plowshares and all those who have fought so hard throughout history to keep their weapons will gladly give over their weapons and all those who have raged in protest will rest and feel at peace and all the energy used for fighting and defending and peacekeeping and war making will be melted down and remade into a tool for worship and recreation and all of those who have been longing for the restoration of creation will see it. And all of those who have been earnestly seeking healing will find it. And all of those who have been battling their sin will watch as their fallen desires are melted away. And true humanity is restored fully and finally forever in our glorified bodies and our renewed minds. so what do we do in that tension how do we wait in that tension and how do we wait well and how do we look forward well here's my sermon that was all just an intro so look at the text in Matthew for me for a second Matthew chapter 16 we're in verses 15 through 18 we, we see this this moment happening where where people are coming before Jesus and they're asking uh, Jesus is asking who do you say that I am some have said that he's a, a prophet some have said that he is John the Baptist others have said that he's Elijah or Jeremiah and Jesus asks the disciples this pointed question okay that's who everybody else says I am who do you say I am And then we see the greatest confession in all of Scripture. This confession that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. God's promises have come true. Here is Jesus, the promised Savior, the the offspring that will crush the head of the serpent, the offspring of Abraham who will bless the nations, the Son of Mary, the mighty one of Israel who will topple the proud and exalt the lowly. This is Jesus, the Messiah, the, the Savior, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus responds, and and you can almost feel his excitement. It's almost tangible. He hears this confession, and he responds, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for the Father in heaven has opened your eyes to see Jesus. Just side note, if you see Jesus, it's because the Father in heaven opened your eyes to see him. The already of opening blind eyes to see, that's present. In confessions of who Christ is. And then he says, right after this, one of the most debated passages in Scripture, and you're, think, you're thinking, Austin, how are you going to do this in 10 minutes? I got you, don't worry. <laughs> this is one of the most debated passages in Scripture. He says this He says, I say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I want us to pay attention to two things in this text that that should stand out to us. In verse 18, Jesus will will lean in. He'll say, I say to you that you are Peter. And then he shifts. He, He could continue and say, you are Peter, and on you I will build my church. But that's not what he says praise the Lord that's not what he says because Peter has some moments later on in life that we would not be too excited about but what he does say is you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church he shifts and he changes he he doesn't continue by saying Peter I'll build my church on you he shifts this rock and, and then he gives us this incredibly encouraging statement, and the gates will not prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So I think we need to do two things. We need to do one: ask what is the rock? What is this rock that Jesus is talking about? And I think it's it's quite clear from the shift that Jesus makes and the rest of the testimony of Scripture that the rock is the Messiah. The rock is Christ. He's the one who the the foundation of the church is built upon. Jesus is the rock. The testimony throughout Scripture is that he's the foundation of the building of the church. He's the cornerstone of the church. In fact, if we were to follow Peter's writings throughout the rest of the New Testament, what does he call Jesus? The cornerstone that the rest of the temple is built upon. The rock that the church is built upon is Christ and the confession of him, the Son of the living God and the Messiah. And so what does he say about this rock? He says that he will build his church. He will build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is always moving forward. And the gates of hell will not prevail. What do we do as we wait for the kingdom? We continue moving forward on the foundation of Christ, proclaiming this confession that he is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. And we believe confidently that Christ will build his church because he's already building it. He is already doing this work. We are already seeing it happen. And then we lean into that with confidence. As we look around in the not yet of this world and then we look forward to the day when it's finally and fully realized when the gates of hell are overthrown don't you love that gates do not advance gates are set up to protect And here is the church advancing on the gates of hell. So right now, in this already-not-yet kingdom, what is the church doing? It's plundering the kingdom of the enemy. In the meantime, we plunder the enemies of the kingdom. We wage war against the gates of hell with the confession that Christ is the Messiah. That he is building his church upon himself. That he has brought his kingdom and he will bring his kingdom. And just in case you struggle to believe that that's true because you're too caught up in today's day and age, let me show you something. In AD 40, when most of our New Testament was beginning to happen, there were 1,000 Christians on the planet. In AD 100, that number had gone up to 10,000. In 200 AD, we see 200,000 Christians have been counted. And that's amidst severe persecution, like the Roman Empire can't kill them faster than they're being recreated. In 300 AD we see five million Christians And, and and many would actually argue that the reason the Roman Empire becomes a Christian state is more because they were actually just afraid that if they didn't they'd start to get murdered in their sleep so they they changed the Roman Empire to Christianity and because the growth of Christians has been just blowing up and exploding Five million Christians. And then in 2020 AD, it is predicted that there have been over 2.5 trillion Christians throughout history. Christ is building his church. We have 2,000 years of history to prove it. And so in this already, not yet, as we, as we feel the weight of suffering that comes in the not yet, and yet we rejoice in the truth that he has already come, that he is already here, we look to what Jesus has done throughout history and we continue to profess that the baby who was born on Christmas Day, he is the Messiah. He is the Son of the living God and he will build his church So good Christian friend, rejoice. With heart and soul and voice, now you hear of this endless bliss that Jesus Christ was born for this. He has opened heaven's door and now we are blessed forevermore. Christ was born for this. Good Christian friends, rejoice. With heart and soul and voice, now you need not fear the grave. For Jesus Christ was born to save, to gain his everlasting hall. He calls you one and he calls you all. Christ was born to save. Let us rejoice. Father, we are so grateful for your word. We are, we are grateful for the truths that you have already given us, the, the down payment of your spirit that you have indeed saved us, Lord, and yet we long for that day when you return and make all things new. We long for that day where swords are melted down into plowshares, where nation will not take up war against nation, Lord, but instead there will be peace forevermore. Lord, we desire to continue to see the church advancing. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us confidence that you are building your church. And from that confidence, we will continue to proclaim, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of the living God. We love you, Lord. I pray for those that are feeling the, the weight of suffering this season, the, the weight of the not yet, who are questioning, Lord, whether or not what you have said is true. They, they're looking at your promises and they, they, they may be feeling that that hopelessness that, that comes when we don't lean into the already, Lord. So I pray that you would reveal to them where you are already moving, And Lord, I just pray for healing. I I pray that your kingdom would be made known in their life and it would be shown physically through healing power, Lord. So for those in this room right now who are suffering, may your kingdom be known in their lives on earth as it is in heaven. For those of us who... Are feeling discouraged and hopeless in this time, Lord, who are who are wondering whether or not your kingdom's gonna make it, Lord. I, I do pray that you would strengthen our resolve. That we would take a step back, we would look out and we would look over history and we would see that the gospel is always bearing fruit and increasing not only in our lives, but across the whole world. And so we long for that joyous day when every tribe and tongue and nation comes and bows before you and sings, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What a joyous day that will be. And in the meantime, Lord, I pray that you would gift us with Power of your spirit to continue to profess and proclaim the gospel. Thank you that you, our Father in heaven, have revealed to us who Jesus is. And for those of us who don't know him, Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes. That they would see you and they would know you. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And in doing so, as you transfer them from the domain of darkness into your kingdom of light, may we just see the enemy's camp plundered. And may we rejoice. Glory, 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 glory to the newborn King, Christ, who accomplishes this for us. It's in your name we pray.